Hey everyone, it's Jerry. Before we dive into this week's episode, I just wanted to give a shout out to some of the upcoming tournaments in the area. Uh, up in Wyndham, New Hampshire on September 11th, Gameland is hosting a 1K. They are a newer store to the Legacy community and they got a really great community building up, uh, getting people interested in the format. So if you're in the area, definitely show them some love. Uh, we got on October 1st, the Legacy Pit Open 2 down in Richmond, Virginia. Uh, those guys are the utmost professionals. Uh, can't wait to uh, see the decks and turnout that they get because it's always a good time. And finally, on October 8th, we got the next Leaving a Legacy Open taking place in Acton, Massachusetts. So come on down and we'll have a good old time. And if you are a store owner or a tournament organizer who's putting on Legacy tournaments and you want the public to know about it feel free to drop us a line at the leaving a legacy facebook page uh happy to shout out your store and help grow the community all right play on everyone leaving a legacy is brought to you by hipstersofthecoast.com and can be found on the top deck app every friday you can support the show directly at patreon.com slash leaving a legacy magic is power everyone and welcome back to another episode of leaving a legacy i'm your host jerry me uh, patrick was uh withheld by the little football gremlins uh he is uh coaching still so just me tonight but that is okay because i have a much requested guest on tonight i'm actually surprised we haven't had him on the cast beforehand uh, as he is quite the uh the legend in the legacy circles uh we have mr cassis how are you doing today i'm good wow what an intro <laughs> <laughs> yeah i gotta butter you up so uh you know you you, you uh make the grand entrance <laughs> buttered <laughs> <laughs> and now it's it's uh it's ely not eli is that uh is that a confusing uh thing that comes up for a lot of people uh, it gets messed up a bunch but uh <laughs> not something that i get too worked up about so awesome uh well anyone uh from kind of the new england and i'm sure beyond uh legacy uh, community has certainly heard your name before uh, i always uh knew you as the uh the end boss at uh many a uh, <laughs> local tournament uh so i'm really happy to have you on to just kind of pick your brain about the best format cool cool yeah i'm down for that I recently just played Legacy a ton at uh, Baltimore, right? That was nice. the one before this yep. one. It's just yeah. Columbus. Yep, exactly. Yeah. I was the Legacy seat in the team, and then I played the Legacy 5K the next day. So, awesome. Lots and lots of Legacy. Maybe <laughs> Yeah, definitely. It's, uh, you know, definitely feels like the format's back in full swing. We got tournaments left, right, and center. Uh, you know, we got the Legacy Pit open coming up soon. Uh, we also just announced the next Leaving a Legacy open is going to be on October 8th. So, yeah, lots of Legacy to be had. 
for our listeners who might not uh, know you or maybe are, you know, from the West Coast or, or you know, who haven't had a chance to really Ooh. get on the uh, the Terrence scene. Sorry, I'm sure you're just as big a name on the West Coast, too. <laughs> oh, oh, good. What I'm hearing is you want me to brag about myself. A yeah. Little bit, Give like us. Happens to be my favorite thing. <laughs> <laughs> Give us the dish. <laughs> All right. Let's see here. Uh, I have nine Grand Prix top eights two Grand Prix wins, two Pro Tour, two Pro Tour top eights, one Pro Tour win. Uh, I've won an Invitational. I've won two or three Opens. I can't actually remember. Uh, got a lot of tournament performances, but also like 30 years of playing history. Yep. Yeah, I when I first met you was back in the old school uh Jupiter Games bunch of duels tournaments. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, those are the good old days you know, playing for play sets of dual lands. And, uh, you know, I remember my friend, Josh Sissio, he was like, Hey, if you get paired against him, you know, watch out. He's real good. I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking he was going to say like, get your shiv out, get ready. <laughs> uh, you were always one of those people that, you know, when everyone's sitting down, making their deck lists, when you came in, everyone's like, all right, this is, I need to change my sideboard selection just in case. <laughs> You know, I used to get really good at disguising what I was playing. Yeah. Just for that, because you're right. A lot of people did seem to include another sideboard card or two. And I was like, hmm, that's not fair. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, taking it back, you've been playing Legacy since it was type 1.5. You know, you were... You were there when the old laws were written. So (laughs) how how did you get into kind of like magic and legacy in general? Well, uh, two very different questions, but I'll start with the first one, getting into magic. Uh, Essentially, everybody that I knew in fifth grade or sixth grade when I started uh, that I used to play football with, I was like, hey, we're going to do this now instead. And they were just crouched on the floor playing cards. And I was like, what the hell is that? (laughs) <laughs> and, you know, they taught me and I was like, all right, well, I guess I'm doing that now. Very different change of pace from what I was used to, but okay. And uh, the legacy format, when it first started, I was like, great, a bridge format. Cause like extended had been going on way too long as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. And it was just getting kind of like uh, boring. And yep. your legacy came around and was like, here's older, older cards. The ones that you're used to playing with. Cause when I started Type one was the only format. There wasn't a type. It was just <laughs> there magic. was magic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I was like, darn, I, I miss those days. I was always nostalgic for them. So to have something like that available was really cool. And I was like, yes, I'm all about this format. Give me all the werebears because <laughs> that was a, a mainstay when it was first around. Yeah, before Tarmogoyf, werebear was the original green beater. <laughs> yeah. And uh, for our listeners who might be on the newer side, Extended was this format back in the day that was kind of like modern, but it rotated and it just wasn't very popular. It was it was it was extended. It was basically extended standard was the idea behind it. And yet some reason it was like a PTQ format. So yeah, like, <laughs> and the only people who played it were people yeah. trying to get on the pro tour. <laughs> exactly. And I obviously I had to back then because I always wanted to compete on the main stage, but I was like, all right, this is just a little ridiculous. Right. So what was your first legacy deck? Do you remember? Um, That's a great question. I want to say it was um, Canadian Threshold, as they used to call it. Yep. Yeah, so Nimble Mongooses, Werebears, 
eventually like stifle came around but that wasn't like the first iteration uh lightning bolt obviously i think chain lightning force of will yeah a bunch of these cards it was like uh an amalgam of all things good and cheap and you would just try to be like the aggro deck getting there before the opponent could materialize their plan yeah it was basically like the ancestor to rug delver is you know it was it it was based around a lot of like days wasteland tempo strategies you know land a cheap threat and then keep your opponent on the back foot yeah yeah it was a lot of fun uh i used to like the format a lot back then because it seems to be at least a lot more skill intensive the way that games tended to play out but uh mm-hmm. though i don't hate it now either it's still pretty great <laughs> yeah uh and you know you've also done you know not just as a player i know you've done a lot of um you know you've worked with a lot of stores doing uh you know helping behind the booth and wireless how did, how did you kind of fall into that is that just like a byproduct of just being in the community for so long that you get to know people (laughs) maybe that's a a tricky question to answer like usually it just revolves around the fact that everybody uh that plays long enough starts to see some of the ins and outs of like how you can make additional money on the side as you're playing yeah that was just one avenue of that so i got into it of course nice uh so let's take it to modern day what are uh what are you sleeving up these days for Legacy, uh, at Baltimore, I played Elves. Oh, that was, okay. Uh, that was a big change for me. I'd been testing it a lot online beforehand, but that was the first time I've actually played Elves in like a, any kind of big tournament. Yep. Yeah, because I would uh, pretty much usually associate you with, uh, you know, blue-based mid-range, you know, control style. You know, And a I... lot of my opponents did, which was kind of <laughs> nice. <laughs> Some people were keeping hands where they were like the two-minute vehicle that exiles graveyards and like a quick blood moon. And like they were like, yeah, I'm going to get this Delver player. <laughs> <laughs> Always good to throw a wrench in their plans. Oh, yeah. Uh, so how, how did uh, Baltimore go, go for you? I went 14 and 0. Nah, that's pretty good, I'd say. <laughs> <laughs> I was quite pleased. I went 7 and 0 day one. And then, uh, unfortunately, the team didn't get there. So we didn't even play round eight. Well, that's then, the problem with team, team tournaments. Your team's got to win. <laughs> yeah. So then, uh, day two, I played the 5K and uh, I won the first five rounds, drew in, double drew in. And then won the quarterfinals, won the semifinals, and then we split finals. And technically, we played it. We played one game post-board with him on the play for the little plaque thingy. (laughs) And and he won the one game and left. So some people might want to count that as a loss, but I don't feel like it is. We played one (laughs) game, and he had multiple advantages. So You got it. You got it. Now you said, you know, you've always been a, uh, you know, very competitive person and your goal was to play on the main stage with the pro tour. Oh, yeah. you know, how, how do you feel about legacy as a format kind of moving away from that? You know, legacy hasn't qualified you for a pro tour since I think like, you know, Barcelona when I went was probably, I think the last time. Is that the 25th anniversary one? Yeah. Like yeah. I, I think that was the last time you could even qualify through legacy um but how, how do you kind of feel about legacy i don't want to say moving away from competitive but just you know less avenues to participate on the competitive you know scale that we were used to back in the day well i kind of feel like uh, uh legacy has really always not been pushed on the professional circuit it's kind of been like uh wizards you know idea of uh you know it's 
too expensive for the crown to play in a competitive way. And they always wanted to make the competitive circuit, which this part's weird to me. They always wanted to make the competitive circuit cost effective. But to me, if you're in magic and you're in the competitive circuit, you either have a sponsor that's like able to help you out or you've been playing long enough that you have a lot of the cards. So like the logic to me never made sense that the small 300 people in the whole world that are so professional competing can't produce cardboard to play. And even back then, like underground seas were, you know, $40 at one point. Yeah. And then, you know, $100 for the longest time. So it's not like they're the, you know, $1,000 card that they are now sometimes. So yeah, it's kind of like, it wasn't that unaffordable or that unrealistic to have that be a thing. And there's plenty of tier one decks too that don't require those cards. Right. You know, it's kind of like thinking if, uh, you know, the PGA tour, you know, required all the competitors to use, you know, like $300 golf set clubs, you know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> or like uh, cheap tennis rackets or anything like that. Like it's, it's sort of like a cost of competing at a high level and magic's always wanted to take itself seriously. So I feel like that's one of those areas they shouldn't have cheaped out where they should have been like, all right, you know, this needs to be a thing. Yep. Also, can you hear uh, my dog's going to town on a squeaky toy? I don't know if you can pick that up. <laughs> Actually, I couldn't even hear it. Uh, okay. <laughs> okay, I just want to make sure. <laughs> but listeners, if you hear uh, a squeaky toy dying, that's uh, that's the dog in the background. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, okay. So, you know, are you still, uh, you know, trying to get on the pro tour on a regular basis? Like, is that still a driving goal for you? Uh, well, I don't uh, necessarily try. Sorry. I don't know if this camera's on or not, but... Uh, I've kind of been on the train for a while now. So first mm-hmm. I made it into the Rivals League, and then I made it into the MPL. And then from there, I've been qualifying for Worlds repeatedly. So now Worlds is coming up in this fall. So I'm already qualified, I think, for the first two Pro Tours based on past accomplishments of 2023. So yeah. really don't have to worry about qualifying again for like quite some time. Gotcha. Yeah. That is kind of nice. You know, once you kind of get on a roll and, uh, you know, keep winning it, it's easy to just, you know, keep falling into it over and over again. Yeah. It's nice to not have to worry about it as much, but like they're definitely changing. And I think moving forward and they've been saying this for a long time to make it harder because they want to give people the chance to like mix it up and have new blood come in, which I think is a good idea. When the MPL first came around, I missed it on like four pro points. And it was like really tragic for me because the beginning of the NPL program, that was like the really rewarding part of this yeah. year. <laughs> when Wizard so, was like, we're going to be an eSport. We're going to throw all this money at it. And then yeah. it just kind of like fizzled out when they were not getting the return on investment they were hoping for. <laughs> They're like, we're taking the top 32 point earners. And then like four people opted out. So it went up to like 37 and I was sitting there <laughs> in like 42nd. And I'm oh, like, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> since people might just be listening and not viewing i'm pretending to pull out my hair even though yeah. i have very small hair <laughs> that so, part was definitely a shot to the face did you yeah. want to talk about uh elves for a little bit too yeah let's get into elves yeah, yeah, yeah. Get the deck it, up. it's been blown up on twitter um newton mm-hmm. That the the name of the person who's yep. like really proprietizing the elves builds and keeps yep. like updating it to the newest iteration and a lot of people are playing fiend artisans is that what it's called 
Yeah, I was actually in a team tournament uh, this past weekend, and I got paired against elves. And I like they played that card. I'm like, hold on, I got a reader. <laughs> you know what is this? What does this do? <laughs> it's got a lot of text for yeah. sure. And uh, you know, the funny thing is, to me, the card has a lot of stats for a cheap cost, which kind of meet the requirements for what you want in Legacy. But I don't think the deck wants that card. And I know that this person has been playing elves a lot longer than me. Probably has more reps and you know, is the person that's got their finger on the pulse. But if I'm thinking about how this deck plays out and I have the choice between Glimpse of Nature and Fiend Artisan, I'm going to go with Glimpse of Nature. I mean, that card they, is just... They cut Glimpse a, of Nature for it. I didn't even realize yeah. that. Oh. Yeah. They're playing such a different type of list too. So now they're introducing Land War Elves and Finhorn Elves. They're mixing it up in case, you know, you metal image a Land War Elf. Yeah. <laughs> And then they're uh, uh, trying to just like uh, curve out, I think, better. But they're mm -hmm. not like increasing the numbers of other powerful spells. So like natural order still at three copies, not four. And then because they have more two drops in the deck, fiend artisans, then they can't support like the glimpse from comboing as well. So it's right. kind of like awkward and sloppy, which I did notice. Like in my list of it, I played four endurances in the sideboard to really just try to get elves. And a lot of times I would cut down two or three copies of Glimpse because when you start doing that and you draw endurances, I mean, you can actually like play it for a vote to draw a card, mm -hmm. but it's obviously a loss of synergy. You're not gaining anything. So yeah. the value starts to go away. The deck needs to like flow smoothly together with itself. Mm -hmm. And to me, that was just Nettle Sentinel. Nettle Sentinel, Birchlore Rangers, the... Uh, Heritage Druid, that combo of stuff has felt like how you could abuse your cards the most, which Legacy is just totally about. You want to just be going off as fast as possible. And it's basically like, ah, I got there first. All right, you lose. Shoot, you got there first. All right, I lost. Right. So it feels like Fiend Artisan 2 is also one of those cards that rewards you for drawing into multiple cradles. Like, you know, usually multiple cradles isn't that great unless you're like going off that turn. But Fiend Artisan seems to take advantage of that. But I don't know if that's necessarily the position you want to be putting yourself in. See, here again, I think yes, but they play now one copy of Crater Hoof. So if they draw it, they can't do the Fiend Artisan trick for it. Mm. Uh, if they play a Progenitus, that's much harder to search out. And then even when you search it out, it doesn't always win because. If you're up against combo or somebody's playing a supreme verdict, then they're just gonna be like, all right, well, I'll untap and I'll scoop all your stuff away. So, yeah, progenitus hasn't been the threat it used to be for like 10 years now, you know. Yeah, yeah. uh, there are fun plays where you do go for crater hoof and they're like dressed down, and then you're like, oh, Bazeduit. <laughs> <laughs> but not enough where I think, like, you know, you obviously don't have the mana to do that all the time. And another thing I'm surprised people aren't doing, like in my elves list, is playing four carpet of flowers in the sideboard. And yeah, that card yeah. is powerful. Most people are playing zero. And it's right. like if you had a colored soul ring in your deck. How <laughs> broken would that be? I don't think people are thinking about it that way. Yeah. But it's not as if elves doesn't have mana sinks. We have Allosaurus Shepherd. That's like the best card in the format right now. And then when you have the insectile uh, aberration, whatever it's called, not aberration, but the insect, the one, one that bounces elves. Yeah. Uh, when you have that with visionary going, you just want tons of mana. You're like, yeah, I want to pay three mana to draw a card. 
<laughs> just over and over and over again. And then Carpet of Flowers just makes like the whole thing fit together nicely, especially when you're up against um, El, uh, not El, sorry, Delver, which people mm -hmm. are considering a slightly unfavorable matchup. They're saying Delver has uh, an advantage, and I think it actually does. But I think post-board, you can configure it the way I did when I'm bringing in four carpets and four endurances, and you can throw a huge monkey wrench into their plan. They do not have an easy time at dealing with just an endurance. And as soon as you start clogging them up, if they don't clock you, Els for sure wins the long game. Mm -hmm. so that's just my strategy there. And it worked. I played it twice, but not really enough reps to like really prove for sure that it happens. But I mean, it did pan out in the short span. Yeah, it definitely feels like Els uh, in Legacy is the inevitable deck where if you don't win fast enough, Elves is going to win the long game because they're going to overwhelm you either with bodies or just getting the right cards and comboing out in your face. There's definitely some frustrating decks when you're Elves. Like you don't want to see Storm or Reanimator on the other side of the table, but there are a lot of cyborg cards now that give us game. Like Greenson's anything for a collector roof can happen on turn two now. And I can just mm -hmm. put a, a monkey wrench in Storm's uh, you know, ability to do anything. Yeah. Or against Reanimator, we most of us have Leyline of the Void and Endurance now. So you can like really get people that are just trying to keep, you know, a slightly sloppy but quick turn one hand. But if you do get any kind of like a normal draw against a good player that's playing a reanimator, you are severely unfavored. So if that's your metagame, I might not consider elves for that tournament, but or yeah. just like pack a bunch of fairy macabres in your sideboard if you want to get real gamey. Yep. <laughs> now, now what's your approach when you're you know tackling a meta? What do you feel is more important, you know, skill with a deck or understanding the metagame? For myself or for the... Like, yeah, for, your, for yourself. You know, what, what's your approach when you're preparing right, so for a tournament? Because I've been playing for 30 years and I've yep. never attributed myself to one deck, I've always just tried to play whatever was the best deck. Mm -hmm. The feel is that I'm a quite flexible, versatile player. So I'll pick up any deck. I think it's the best one. I'll play that. I'll play a few reps and usually get it under my, you know, repertoire pretty fast. And as soon as I think it's good enough, I jam it. I played KCI at a Grand Prix. I had never played the deck before. I top eight of that Grand Prix. Uh, <laughs> I, played, I played Phoenix at a Grand Prix. And again, it was like the first time I actually only watched Ross Miriam win and open with it the weekend prior. Yeah. And then I played at that event with maybe two leagues uh, to practice beforehand. And I won that Grand Prix with it. I even changed the list a couple of cards. So I feel like there's a good ability to adapt when you've been playing for so long. And mm -hmm. that's well suited to me. So for the metagame, I try to choose what I think has the best stats, odds, whatever deck I can come up with and craft a plan for whatever I might face. And that's the deck I'm going with. I try to make a bold choice. And then with my bold choice, use my cyborg to make really good preparation for what I might see. So like Baltimore was a team event, right? So my logic immediately was three people are wrapping their heads together to pick their best legacy player. And then from that, they're going to say, all right, what's the best deck that will support us in the long run? So immediately I'm ruling out people from playing like Dredge or Oops All Spells or any of these random things. Like even Reanimator is kind of like a somewhat sketchy choice. People don't consider it tier one. Mm -hmm. They consider it like tier one five. And because of that, I figured people were going to talk their teammate away from playing a deck like that. So I actually cut a lot of my graveyard hate. I played the four endurances, but that's only because they were the Delver plan. 
mm-hmm. and that if I played those other matchups, I had a small chance, but I didn't have any ley line of the voids, not the Bajuka Bog, uh, you know, combo mm-hmm. trick with proper rotation or the the one two one draw, none of that stuff. So if I played against any of those matchups, I would have been less favored because I decided to trim all that. But as a result, played all the matchups I expected to see, didn't face the ones I expected not to see. So everything panned out great and ended up winning all my matches. And I feel like that's almost something you have to do if you want to try to get a huge win percentage and take down a very gigantic tournament. Because no matter how good you are, you don't have that much of an edge on the rest of the field. And I don't know, there's like 15 rounds. So much luck comes into the game on top of skill. So you need to figure out how to optimize both of those if you're going to win a tournament. So let's talk about that for a minute. You know, let's talk about what's the difference between, you know, winning an FNM and winning a Grand Prix, you know, those extra rounds, how does that affect your, you know, your game plan, your stamina, you know, just everything. As I've gotten older and I'm turning 40 in a year, <laughs> <laughs> as I've gotten older, I've definitely noticed that uh, after round five of a day, I'm starting to lag a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've always considered myself like foolproof in that department. You know, the first 30 years of my life, I was like, great. I could just go the whole tournament long. And I was firing all cylinders. And now I'm like, man, I need something. I need a, a stimulant right around, you know, round six. And it stinks because as soon as you take it, you're like, you're kind of wired. And there's usually like only like two, two or three more rounds. But then after that, you're still wired and you're like, oh, now it's nighttime. I want to readjust. I want to get some good sleep and come back and play day two. So I'm trying to like really aim for, you know, round three to four to take it so that it's kicked in and already there to help finish out the rest of the day. I got some really good advice from uh, somebody at a tournament once, which I forgot who it was. But I was eating a pretzel and they're like, really, you have like six more rounds today. Why are you eating that complex carb that's going to put you to sleep so you can't like maintain focus the rest of the day? And I was like, shit, you're right. Num, num, num. Yeah, my uh, my friend Brent Gilmore, he's really big into uh, you know the healthy foods, and he'll he'll come to tournaments with like grilled chicken breast and Tupperware to eat between <laughs> rounds. It's like I gotta get the energy up. <laughs> Compared to, uh, I remember it was like a it was either like a Grand Prix or an SCG Open or something back in the day, and uh, Brian Kibler was playing. But <laughs> I'm watching Brian Kibler play, and he wins his match. And his friend comes over and goes, hey, congratulations, and hands him a McDonald's bag. And he turns the McDonald's bag over, and there's like three cheeseburgers and three five-hour energies. And I just watched Brian Kibler just house cheeseburger, five-hour energy, cheeseburger, five-hour energy. Wow. <laughs> there's also the just, you know, pour, pour rocket fuel on the fire until you crash and hope it lasts long enough for the tournament to be over. <laughs> Yeah, I've learned just there's a lot of things you need to do to supplement your odds of winning an event. It's not really just all the deck choice or your preparation or side work notes. There's there's a total head game that everybody needs to be aware of too. Yeah, I I I'll I'll back that up because every tournament I've ever won or top aided, I've done so with the support of friends. Either you know going and getting me food because they had already scrubbed out and I was, you know, playing some deck that wasn't giving me any time in rounds. And if, you know, I hadn't had them, you know, getting that, I would have run out of energy and just also just, you know, having people support you on the sidelines as you're, as you're making it through, you know, I remember, uh, you know, when I top eight at GP Niagara, 
you know, I had a little, uh, you know, group of my closest friends who were cheering me on in, in the feature match, everything. And, and that makes the world of difference when you're, when you're playing at these high level competitive events. Oh yeah. Especially when you're like dying of thirst and you don't have time because you went to rant, uh, your round went to time and your friends just got a soda there for you and just helping you out. And it's like those little things, they stack up and add up tremendously. My first 20 to 25 years of playing Magic, I was pretty much solo. I didn't have a team. I didn't uh, collaborate with a lot of people. And all of that tournament success I've mentioned, a lot of that's been in the last five years. So like a team really helped turn things around, having other minds to throw things against, to test with, to support you and all the manners we've already discussed. Those things are huge. Mm -hmm. Definitely, definitely. Uh, going in kind of a different direction. So if you don't want to talk about this, that's, that's totally fine. We can just cut this. But, um, I remember, uh, you know, back a few years ago now, it was pretty big news in, in the community. You had a pretty sizable collection stolen. Yeah. I don't mind talking about it, it happened in 2013. And, uh, so I had, had parked my car actually pretty far from the site on purpose, trying to like, you know, make sure it was kind of hidden. And it was a nicer car, too, so it would be hard to break into. And I had come for the first day to, like, vent to deal with a lot of the dealers and trade and buy, sell things. So I had a lot of inventory on me. And then for day two, I was competing, and there was, like, a sealed portion where you're building your pools, right? So during that time, everybody's intently focused on the event, making sure nobody's cheating and focused on it. So this thief had correctly planned and you know orchestrated an event where he could then you know steal them while everybody was focused on the inside so they broke into my car they had to rip open the back seat to get into my trunk and they stole all the cards not all of them actually they had left and forgotten some which was nice they missed you know place that's a japanese foil fetch lands from onslaught so that was a nice little recuperation but yep. Uh, eventually we caught this person oh you did i never actually heard about him being caught that's that's great well he immediately like he broke in through the window and like cut himself on the glass so he was like bleeding <laughs> on my seats and on top of that like just leaving dna everywhere <laughs> yeah <laughs> on top of that somebody that was part of it gave him up and uh, i shouldn't mention their name just so like no repercussions happened to them but it was uh, very interesting how like easy it was to figure out who it was very quickly. And then it took two years to actually prosecute. So by the time we got there to the finish line, I mean, we couldn't get any of the stuff back. Uh, there was no evidence to recuperate. But in the um, whatever the verdict is for court, he had to pay back $10,000. And at the time, the stuff he took was evaluated somewhere between eighty and 100000 and then you know now would be like half a million dollars worth of stuff the way that it's like stealing cars, stock like it yeah you know, the, the face value is not the real value <laughs> right right i mean underground c was 100 back then and yeah. i think there were like 20 of them in there because i had been buying them on purpose trying to stock up on them for mm -hmm. a future uh vending event and you know now with them being almost a thousand dollars that rate of increase is just so absurd so that was a really big blow. And honestly, it was the only time in my entire career life where I actually contemplated quitting magic. And yeah. I don't blame you. That's, that's a, that's quite the, you know, kick in the nuts. You could say <laughs> it really was, it really was, but uh, I got back on the horse. Thanks again to the support of some really good friends of mine. I have this friend, his name's Anson. He lives in Florida 
And he used to play Legacy with me back in the day, back when it started. And then he hasn't actually played in the last 10 years. He really just got focused on his career and just mm-hmm. uh, well, once a year, maybe playing FNM. But he heard about it, called me up and was like, dude, I, you know, I'm so sorry. He's like, I really want to help you. And he said, I'm going to send you all my magic cards. And I was like, no, you, you can't do that, dude. And like, we're talking, he had, you know, a full 40 set of FBB duels and mm-hmm. like, tons of other stuff so he's like i insist i'm sending it to you do what you want with them like you know you want to get me back for them later down the line when you're good cool and and so i did at the time I, they were worth something like you know eighteen thousand. i think his collection was worth at the time fbb duels really weren't worth a ton back then but they were still a good amount and so i ended up shipping him twenty thousand dollars later for them but using his cards to sort of like compete again and start vending again you know, generating, uh, buying and selling so that I could like, you know, stay current and competitive, but without his help. Yeah. I don't know. I might've not got back in. Yeah. Hey, that's, that's just really great testament to the community. And it, it kind of is funny seeing the two faces of the coin, because I remember when it happened and hearing kind of the details secondhand from other people, just things like, yeah, that's got to be like an inside job. The way that got pulled off, it's like he knew what your car was. He like he marked you as a target, and so like the only person that could do that. This isn't like some like punk off the street just seeing a nice car and doing a smash and grab. Like yeah. this is someone who like plans it out, and like the only person who could do that is someone who is in the community, and that feels like like a betrayal of the you know someone in the community doing this to their fellow community members it, it is there was a, a well-known ring of backpack fees yep i remember that and i i believe excuse me that this was tied to that but mm-hmm. i can't say with 100 percent certainty and even though i know some names i don't want to you know say these names yep. out them because you know without conclusive 100 percent proof and even with that i don't want to like tear apart anybody's life 10 years later Mm-hmm. You know, I'm over it. I don't really think about it ever again. And, you know, it's nice to just know that it's lost in the past and that it doesn't continue to affect me today. Yeah. I've recovered quite well, thriving in life financially, you know, speaking. So mm-hmm. not worried about that part of it anymore. But yeah, certainly yeah. at that time, and especially to like somebody else, that could have been world ending. So right. really sad and I really despise thievery in general. Yeah, that it continues to happen all the time. It's so cool though when you hear about somebody losing their deck, and then like a week later, somebody turns up and says, like, "Hey, I found your deck. I didn't know whose it was. Like, let me get it back to you." Yeah, and they're just mailing you some like you know five thousand dollar legacy deck. Right. They easily could have kept that. That is like and and generous. That- and then other times where somebody loses like a ton of stuff, and somebody's like, "Let me send you a moat. Let me send you an abyss." Like I've heard these stories. Like people actually just like shipping a thousand dollar card to somebody that's lost their stuff it's like the community comes together to like fill in that gap right yeah that's awesome i am really glad you're that friend of yours helped you out when you know your darkest hour and you know that does show the other side of the community the you know the good side of the legacy community that you know we really kind of help each other out and you know raise each, yeah. each other up you know i was thinking too along those lines is we should come up with a way like a system of people who could like belong to an organization where if somebody were to get hit like that they could like document what was taken evaluate the value divide it by the number of people in it and all those people could contribute that amount to that person 
to restore that. So like, like a mag magic insurance, <laughs> kind of, but yeah. almost like a, a collective. So like if one person gets hit, everybody gets hit. And then it's a yeah. much smaller hit when divided by everybody. If you get a thousand people into a group like that and somebody steals a $30,000 collection, people are shipping $30. They're not going to even care. Yeah, exactly. That's that's some pretty awesome security. And we can't get that kind of security through insurance or anything else. You can only insure your collection really up to $25,000 at a reasonable insurance rate. Right. After that, you can't like substantiate it. You can't protect it. There's not a good method, but this sounded like a good idea, like a, a crowdfunded sourced way of like insuring everybody's valuables. I thought that would be really cool. Hey, a little uh, business opportunity for uh, one of our listeners. <laughs> Hopefully somebody listening will start it. I don't know at the time, but I would like yeah, to be you're, part of it. <laughs> you're a busy guy. Yeah, for sure. That is a good idea. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's also great with the community too, is um, I've heard multiple stories of, you know, because we are such a tightly woven community and because, you know, we're so related that I've heard many times of thieves getting caught because they steal uh, a somewhat distinct deck or something like that from one person and then try and sell it wholesale to someone else. And they're like, oh, that's funny. This foil Japanese elf deck with, you know, this card and this card signed by the artist that just, this just got reported. That's so funny that this deck uh, matches that exact description. <laughs> and as a vendor over many years, I've had a lot of people try shady stuff like that. Oh so, yeah. Tell us about so, that. Cause I've so never heard that. State power all the time or like, you know, a stolen deck. And yeah, usually you're like, Nope, I'm going to hang on to this and I'm going to call a tournament official over and yeah, a lot of times the person just plays stupid, like, oh, I didn't know it was fake, or like, oh, yeah, I didn't know you were looking at that card. I was going to tell you it was fake once, like, we got to it or something like that. I'm like, yeah, sure you were. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, one time, I actually, my my buyer was a little bit new, and he bought an Ancestral and a Time Walk off somebody, and this was at one of the, uh, the Vintage uh, Worlds tournaments. Mm -hmm. not worlds but you know world champs for vintage and uh this person had the money because the transaction happened i saw them in the buy box later and identified them as fake to him he pointed the person out and we called him over it was like the next day even we're like sir you have sold us two fake cards so <laughs> you have a couple options here <laughs> but essentially we got to actually just refund ourselves and yeah. also held on to the fakes. And then after he went away, we also reported him to the TOs because you have to, if you don't do these things, he's going to just try to do that to somebody else and just keep pulling that scam. That, yeah. Sorry, not to interrupt. That reminds me kind of uh, from a play perspective of, you know, things like uh, Bernchini and, uh, you know, other players in the past that they got away with it for so long because they did little cheats that their opponents didn't bother reporting to the judge and so like it was just like little 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 things that just kept sliding kept sliding kept sliding but if their opponents had reported those then it would have created this history that judges would have been able to see a you know a pattern of and these cheaters would have gotten caught you know much sooner and i feel that's it's kind of the same way for vendors <laughs> Yeah, that, and I also feel like, too, it depends on how well-liked you are. So, like, Bertaccini actually had yeah. a great deal of friends. He was, like, in the in crowd. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the times he'd be pulling these things, even on his friends, and they'd just be like, 
Oh, you're just like slipping up because you play fast. I burn genie. That's yeah. <laughs> oh, shucks. There he goes again. <laughs> oh, like they just like, you know, take that back or unwind it or things like that. Yeah. You know what sucks is that I believe in redemption. So somebody getting to like a point where they're so much older than when they did all these things and they can never undo the repercussions of those things. Right. Bertaccini is actually another great example of this. He's in his 30s now. He's not like a kid anymore. And he's probably undergone a huge revolution of uh, behavior and emotion. Right. He has a lifetime ban. So this game that he loved probably more than most people I've known mm-hmm. is something he can never return to. He still plays too, I think, like casual EDH groups and things like that. Uh, one time, I think he even tried to like sneak into a Grand Prix wearing a Pokemon costume <laughs> just to like just to be on site to see his friends and to hang out, which was so funny. But like, yeah, I'm guessing that if he could go back and change a lot of the things he did, he would yeah now knowing what he does but like right when people are young and dumb they just don't know any better yep and you know there is also just you know sometimes you just make stupid mistakes like i've i've uh had my own experiences where a judge like i made some stupid play and a judge pulled me aside and literally asked me it's like do you play much legacy <laughs> just like yes <laughs> So yeah, definitely, definitely second chances, but yeah, it, uh, it is something to think about that. This is a game that has lasted for so long that you're right, that people have grown and matured and, you know, have become completely different people than from when they first started playing. And that's not really something you get from a lot of hobbies or other games that, you know, don't have the the history that magic does. Oh yeah. Especially when it comes to cheating too. There's a lot of like in-betweens where it's just like, well, were they or weren't they? You know, there was this pro player who had his Tron lands marked on the sleeves once at a pro tour oh, event. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, but there was like some questions. He's like, you know, maybe these weren't even my sleeves or maybe somebody else did it or he was in the Hall of Fame. So like, why would he do that? It wasn't worth the risk or things like that would come up. But ultimately they're like, no, this is a thing. It happened. It's, you know, too random to not have been like on purpose. And then they just hand down the judgment of it. So like things have to be cut and dry. And I get it. I get why they're black and white, because if they're gray, nothing would ever happen. And then it would be too profitable to do these things because nothing would change. But it just it stinks because, like I said, I'm a redemption story person. So like if you need to be really harsh, give another four year ban. You know, hopefully when they come back around again, you know, there's no second chances again. Again, it'd be a quick four year ban again. But I don't know, lifetime ban feels like harsh. I feel like that should be reserved for the people who are like physically violent with people on the site or, you know, right. it's like for severe crimes. I feel like cheating in a card game is kind of like, it's bad, obviously, but, you know, we shouldn't hand out a, a terminal judgment. Right. Hi, sweetheart. Sorry, my daughter's oh, coming in. All good. Emmy. <laughs> oh, never mind. <laughs> well actually that, that's a good segue you know being a, a parent and playing magic you know I, the demographic of legacy players has changed where now it's almost like uh legacy is you know the dad format <laughs> you know how, how does how does being a parent and you know being a competitive magic player you know how do you how do you reconcile those uh well first off it's tough because yeah. free time is uh, a hard quantity to find Sometimes I'll wake up at five in the morning so that I can play test from five till 7 a.m. 
where then, you know, my daughter will wake up. I have two daughters now. One's three months and one's three years. Congratulations. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Uh, so I'm often watching the three-year-old while my wife is tackling the three-month-old just because that's how necessity works, yep. you know, breastfeeding and whatnot at that age. So she wakes up at seven. So if I need to test or if I want to test, I have to do it in that window. Then when she's up, full attention. So I can't do whatever I want to do. And then usually it's like making breakfast, getting ready, getting to work. And then after work, coming home, dinner with the family, decompressing, you know, there's not often time to really do anything else the rest of the day. So I've learned to capitalize on the first two hours of the day where it's <laughs> so early, the sun's not up. And most people are like, no, I'm not getting up that early. But luckily, I'm a morning person, so I get to be up. I, I got to, you know, this is nowhere having, you know, an actual child, but uh, being a new dog dad, I got a taste of that today where I, you know, visited my friend James Keenan to sell him some stuff. And I'm like walking into his shop with the dog under one one shoulder and the uh, the backpack slung on over the other. I'm like, hey, I got to drop this off because I need to take her outside. And, you know, it's just funny, you know, trying the balancing act we have to do. <laughs> I know James, by the way, cool dude. Yep. And I think having a dog is very similar, actually. There's you know, constant attention and focus and the need to like put somebody before yourself and to make sure that they're going to be okay, knowing that their survival depends on you. Mm -hmm. It's like a big shift that you make when you become a father and when you become like a a dog owner. So they're not that dissimilar. I remembered something. So I was mentioning that cheating story before, not, oh, yeah. not to try to change something but to point to a different story so like a lot of the times especially when i had success in a short period of time like i won two grand prix in a four-month period yep. people were watching my footage and some people were just like he has to be cheating so they were like yeah, it's just it's almost like like statistically he can't be this good <laughs> that's, that's the way i think it was perceived yes i had tons of people like creating like reddit forums or threads watching each thing thinking did he just do sleight of hand there and it's like replaying it again and again and again yeah. and i was like i i don't do sleight of hand tricks i actually know some card tricks but none of them are sleight of hand tricks yeah. and they're all with like a poker deck they're not with a magic deck so I had a lot of people searching these things over and over and I would have to like actually just defend myself like there is no cheating there like watch closely nothing happens. I would not do that I would not put any of this at risk for that. Right. And so that got kind of frustrating that people be have this like witch hunt mentality and just immediately just be like oh you're canceled your career is over. That, yeah, that's actually that. a big reason why I stopped playing like going for. Um, you know, more higher level uh, tournament things is I found that I just didn't really like the pressure of, you know, competing at those very high levels and you have those extra eyes on you and you have just more people just trying to catch you in something. And when you're just like, I'm not trying to do anything wrong, but you're so terrified of doing something that by mistake <laughs> that someone's going to perceive um, that it just like it, it, it ruins kind of the enjoyment of the game for me. And now I'm much more just uh, I like my F and M I like my local tournaments. You know, if I go to a GP, it's to hang out with friends. Really. It's not really, I'm not like trying to grind for the pro tour or anything like that anymore. So I completely agree with you on all of that, but I feel like I might have taken a different uh, step as a result of it. So I read BBD's article a while back. It was actually many years now, but yep. he talked about shifting his focus from competitive. This is like right after he won Worlds to actually just trying to enjoy the game. And he noticed also uh, an advantage in it that he was performing better because 
the stress and anxiety of trying to like maintain that level of play yeah. actually just messes with you more than it benefits you. Sorry, throat strain up. One sec. So from that, I took a very similar tactic. And that's why like I'll pick a deck that both is good, but also like is fun to play. Like I like elves. I like creature combo based things. Uh, I like things where you can just kind of like get people out of nowhere, but also sometimes grind out a win. So I find like these are the kinds of things I enjoy. And as I'm doing them, I try to think a lot less of, you know, what other people expect of me and more, what do I want to accomplish? And once I started shifting my focus that way, a lot of the pressure disappeared. So a lot of times like these pro tour matches, like the pro tour finals that I won earlier this year, uh, you know, 10,000 plus people are watching and that kind of thing. If you're thinking about it can really distract you and get in your head. But I wasn't thinking about a single one of them. I was thinking like, all right, you know, what's my opponent thinking? What am I going to do next? What's the best play? What would I, what move would I enjoy? Ooh, like, ooh, how could I get them if I did this? <laughs> what would that do? You know, that's a lot of what my brain was doing along with like, man, I'm tired and I'd like to go to sleep. But all of these things together were like equaling my play. And I feel as though I played really well and that it helped me to win that event. And that's the kind of thing I would encourage everybody to do. Just focus on yeah. yourself and your game and what you would enjoy. That's great advice. Great advice. Thanks. <laughs> awesome. Uh, well, I guess uh, as we start to wrap up here, you know, what's what's next for, uh, you know, your, your game? Do you have any upcoming tournaments? Are you still going to be on Elves for a while? Or I don't want to, <laughs> you know, let people metagame against you. But... <laughs> no I, I love Elves, but I don't have a legacy event for some time now. So I don't actually know when the next time I'll get to pick them up is. But I'm testing for Worlds right now. It's uh, the end of next month. So testing uh, this new set limited right now to start. And then going to move on to Standard and Explorer soon. Uh, not my favorite sets. I do like Limited, but Standard has always been my least favorite. And Explorer is kind of like Pioneer. So it's really not that exciting to me either. But uh, I'm hopefully I'm going to do well. Hopefully I'll find decks that I enjoy. And, and Worlds is my focus. Nice. Well, if you want some legacy action, uh, October 8th, got the Leaving a Legacy Open coming up, up in uh, Acton, Massachusetts. Got to get that plug in, you know, for the the listeners. I know all about it, and I really wish I could make it. I basically can't, just how my schedule lines up with it. Oh, good it's gonna uh, yeah it's gonna be a good time looking for it we need a uh, pat and i do a charity event for it every time last time we did uh the world's hottest hot sauce for uh charity for donating. <laughs> uh, if any of our listeners any have any suggestions for what we should do for uh this tournament uh, as the charity uh event you know definitely let us know uh someone floated uh tasing pat in the parking lot for uh donations <laughs> i don't know if we can do that legally so you know if now above world's hottest hot sauce and below taser you know i think that's that's the range that we're looking for if anyone has any suggestions no, it is world's hottest eligible like you could survive it hot sauce right because there's some that are like deadly it's the uh so we did the uh the hot ones challenge if uh you're familiar with that yeah, uh, yeah. They have the uh, the so we did the full the full gambit uh, of the ten uh, hot ones challenge on uh, on stream. Basically, we were in the booth commentating on matches while working our way up the ladder of uh, hot sauce. 
didn't they interview the Avengers cast and they had to eat those super hot wings and then they had to like also then complete the interview and answer yep. questions. Yeah, that's that's what they do. Yeah, it's it's a great show on YouTube. They but it's a, yeah, it's a talk show where they just bring celebrities on, make them eat really hot hot sauce, and then ask them questions. <laughs> So like we were doing like we had like Bob Huang in the booth with us and we were like asking Bob Huang questions while uh you know having him eat the hot sauce. <laughs> uh, well, awesome. Thank you so much, Ely. It's been a pleasure. I can't believe we haven't had you on the cast beforehand. Uh you've always been someone I've really respected in the community. You know, always looking forward to seeing you at events, uh, whether you're vending or playing. Uh so thank you very much for coming on. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure as well. Always happy to do it again sometime if you want. Yeah, definitely. Hey, next time, uh, next time you you play in a legacy event, hit us up. You know, love to have you on, and you know, we can do like a tournament report with you. Sounds good. All right. Uh, <laughs> now uh, we close out every episode with uh, some scoops and poops. Uh, you know, someone you want to scoop into top eight, and uh, if <laughs> if anything's uh, grinding your gears, anything you want to poop on. So, <laughs> any uh, scoops or poops for us? <laughs> Scoops or poops? Let's see. I usually try to scoop my friend Shaheen Sarani into top eight. Uh, that, that man is always very appreciative. And then uh, things that I'd want to poop on. Hmm. Uh, nothing that you know. Nothing that particular. Could do which that uh, you know everybody knows what would make magic even better. And I wish that was happening. And that we weren't just all succumbing to EDH and that we could have like <laughs> you know, our fun too. There's no reason both things can't thrive. It doesn't just have to be one. Yep. But, uh, you know, that decision's already been made and I'm not going to change anything by, you know, getting hung up on it. So wait, what, so what, what was this? The uh, You know, just the natural shift of the way things are going towards EDH. And oh, just in, in general. Competitive and you know, where the support is. And it's almost yeah. like, you know, this is more profitable and therefore it's getting our support. But that doesn't mean that you can't have both things be profitable and have two different divisions focused on different things. This could be the bigger division since it's EDH and it's more profitable, but there's no reason you can't still have a profitable other division making the competitive scene work, for instance. And I wish that was logic that would like hear resonate yeah. so that people would hear it and we could actually all thrive and all be happy in our own way in our own sector but uh yeah it's just not uh how it's gonna line up it seems so say love <laughs> yeah exactly but what i like is that when people in the community like you were saying they're gonna like pick up the torch and i believe that they will and i think we will still have awesome things to do yeah, you know, I, I I do have to say, go the last couple of tournaments I've gone to, it's been really nice seeing the younger players playing Legacy. You know, seeing the high school kids, uh, the, you know, the young college kids playing Legacy, and it's just like, all right, it's good that you know we're not just like aging out of this format. You know, it's not like it's all thirty and forty year olds. We are getting new blood into the format, and that that makes me breathe a sigh of relief about the future for the format. Oh yeah, just like I was saying about the Magic Insurance thing, they should also have like a. Um, sharing cards kind of an app too where you know people can network better so they can save money on building decks and i think that would get younger people into the the older formats better as well awesome uh well my scoops this week i'm going to scoop in my two teammates from the team legacy tournament that i played in uh recently dan hall and uh brent gilmore uh love playing with them and for poops i'm pooping on patrick choosing football over magic like the jockey is <laughs> 
<laughs> we'll uh we'll see you guys all next week pat will be back on the cast with me uh and we'll uh see you all next week have a good one <laughs>